Hello and welcome to episode 43 of ERRX. Back in episode 17, Dr. Nick Sippus and his team from the Emergency Medical Minute had me on their podcast. We talked about a few high-yield ER topics including sedation, antibiotics, and anticoagulation reversal. If you haven't heard it yet, I highly recommend you check it out on the ERRX podcast or on the Emergency Medical Minute podcast. This week, Dr. Nick Sippus takes over the ERRX podcast to talk about a topic that I'm a big fan of, but one that is outside of the scope of a pharmacist, and that topic is intubation. From a pharmacy perspective, intubation just looks so gratifying, and although we don't get to do this procedure, which is probably a good thing, I still think that pharmacists, nurses, ERTs, you name it, should be very well versed in the procedure. Taking it one step further, our listeners should be aware of awake intubation. Since we rarely, if ever, do awake intubations at my site, I wanted to hear Dr. Nick Sippus's take on it. So without further ado, here is Dr. Nick Sippus discussing awake intubation. Hello everyone, this is Nick Sippus from the Emergency Medical Minute. As many of you may remember, Adis Carrick was kind enough to come on our podcast several months ago. Um, we are so thankful to have had his perspective and experience as a clinical pharmacist who's spent time in the ICU and the ER. We talked about a number of topics during that uh, podcast. We talked about antibiotics, we talked about anticoagulation reversal, post-intubation sedation. Um, it was wonderful uh, having him on and he asked if we wouldn't mind coming on uh, in return to talk about some other kind of clinical topics. And uh, so here I am to give kind of a brief overview and review of awake intubation. So uh, first and foremost, link to the show notes, we will have uh, a to Life in the Fast Lane, to MCRIT with Scott Weingart and others. There's a number of great resources online to help you prepare and plan for the moment in which you uh, need to be able to awake intubate a patient. And, you know, first and foremost, obviously, the most important thing is appropriate patient selection. So these are folks who you think have an anatomic or physiologic need for uh, awake intubation, where you don't want to subject them to the usual doses of RSI or even delayed sequence intubation that we use. You don't want to lose their vascular tone. Um, and just folks who you need a little bit more um, of a controlled environment, uh, who you want to take kind of an extra layer of safety um, uh, to, to ensure that the, the intubation goes smoothly. The uh, important thing to note is you do need a little bit of time to get set up, um, as you'll see in the show notes, pre-treating them with glycopyrrolate or less commonly atropine for secretion uh, management usually is best done 10 to 15 minutes ahead of time. And so you start by doing that, uh, you follow that up with uh, suction and using 4 by 4 gauze uh, to to help clear secretions and saliva from the airway. Um, and then you begin the actual anesthetic process in which... Uh, you use a, a nebulized solution of 4% lidocaine, uh, and you nebulize that at 5 um, liters per minute, which then helps to kind of anesthetize the posterior oropharynx. Um, usually very well tolerated, actually, and, and I've, I've found kind of clinical use of, of this uh, in a number of ways, whether it's post-onselectomy bleeding control, um, posterior uh, epistaxis uh, symptomatic control. Uh, there's a number of different uh clinical scenarios in which nebulized lidocaine is is helpful. Um, so once you allow that to complete, you continue to, uh, to control the patient's saliva and secretions by suction and, and using your uh, 
using your four by four gauze. Uh, and then, uh, you can add on additional layers of anesthetic by, uh, having the patient gargle viscous lidocaine. Um, and, uh, uh, also, if, if you're fortunate enough to have an atomizer uh, to do that, uh, you can actually extend that um, an- anesthetic down uh, closer closer to the cords. I won't get too much into the details of that. That device um, is not widely available, um, but uh, certainly the um, uh, videos from Scott Weingart linked to in the Life in the Fast Lane review do show how beneficial it can be if you do carry it. Um, so once uh, once you've achieved, you know, your uh, anesthetic as, as best as you can. And the patient, um, you can test this by using the suction canister, or excuse me, the, uh, the yank hour, uh, or suction device, um, into the back of into the posterior arm pharynx and seeing if you elicit a gag reflex, if the patient appears appropriately anesthetized, you can start the actual procedure. So, you know, just like your normal intubations, the pre-oxygenation and positioning are key, uh, making sure that you line, uh, either ear to sternal notch, or at least the, um, uh, the, 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 the cords to kind of sternal notch by with head and neck positioning. Um, and then I think, you know, this is, this is one that's readily amenable to, uh, video laryngoscopy. Uh, you can use direct, but, uh, I think it's generally well better tolerated, particularly with hyperangulated blades to use video. Um, and so you're just gently micro movements looking, uh, with your video laryngoscope, until you visualize the cords. Um, I do recommend that as you're, as you're doing this, you have, uh, your, uh, sedation agent of choice on hand. Again, we're trying to avoid high doses, but I think that most of these patients in my experience need at least twilight, meaning pain dose ketamine or, uh, low dose propofol, you know, 10, 20 milligram aliquots every couple of minutes, uh, just more for anxiolytic properties, for a little bit of pain control, uh, early or light, mild sedation, um, just to make sure that this procedure is as comfortable as possible uh, and you minimize kind of their agitation and resistance to um, your ultimate intubation. So while, so pre, pre-treating in the ways that we discussed, having your sedation on hand, prepping the appropriate patient, uh, and then, uh, using a bougie, uh, there's a, a number of, uh, resources that we'll link to that, um, are pretty clear that using a bougie and, and therefore having a placeholder is, uh, is preferable. Uh, the last thing you want to do is to go through all this effort, but the patient is still awake and you're, uh, attempting to, place a full endotracheal tube, which is quite irritating to the cords and to the trachea. Uh, the patient's gagging and, and uncomfortable and the, the procedure is not successful. And then you have no placeholder. So I think the bougie tends to be a little bit better tolerated. Um, Weingart specifically discusses additional doses and higher doses, 50 milligrams of propofol, or he talks about ketofol. Um, when you are passing the bougie, because that part in of itself tends to be the most uncomfortable uh part of the entire procedure. Um, and so if they do start to cough, uh, then you, you sedate them heavy, a little bit heavier, uh, at that time. And, and also it's obviously a little safer cause you, you clearly have a placeholder in the airway. So then you, uh, finish out with completing the airway as best as you can. And you move on to your post intubation, uh, sedation and post intubation analgesia and post intubation management kind of checklists. Um, but I think that's an important uh, procedure to have, uh, you know, uh, ready to use for a patient that we don't feel comfortable 
comfortable fully sedating and paralyzing in advance of having a definitive airway in place. And I think that we can think of a number of um, clinical scenarios in which that would be helpful. It's not a procedure that we do often, but it is a procedure that if and when we do it, we should be very good at it. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, it, it requires kind of a, a thoughtful um, prep approach as well as um, uh, anticipatory approach of um, needing more sedation or needing to progress to full RSI depending on, um, on how the procedure goes. So I hope this has been a uh, helpful review of awake intubation. Uh, we are so thankful to have met and collaborated with Adi's Carrick. Hopefully we can continue to do this uh, more because we cherish his podcast and value his time on ours as well. And um, please feel free to reach out to uh, either of our podcasts uh, with any feedback, experience, questions, concerns, and uh, I hope that you all are well and staying safe. Again, this is Nick Sippis with the Emergency Medical Minute. Uh, thank you. Perfect. Thank you all so much for your time. And thanks again to the Emergency Medical Minute crew. Remember to check out our website, errxpodcast.com, where you can find all of our past episodes and look through my Read by QXMD collection for my references. (laughs) ¶¶